Welcome to episode 194 of Live Happy Now. This is your host, Paula Phelps, thanking you for joining us today. You know, if you've ever wondered what happened to your playful side, we have a great topic for you today. Anthony DeBenedict is author of the book, Playful Intelligence, The Power of Living Lightly in a Serious World. As a medical doctor and behavioral science enthusiast, Anthony has looked at how living a more playful life can help us counteract some of the seriousness of our day-to-day living. Live Happy editor Chris Libby talked with Anthony about how playfulness can improve our lives and how you can find more time for it in your own life. How are you today, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Chris. Great. Can you explain what playful intelligence is and what brought you to this idea of playful intelligence? For sure. I first became interested in the study of play when I was a brand new dad about 10 years ago, and I was desperately trying to figure out how to connect with my daughter, Ava. And that turned into a book called The Art of Roughhousing, which kind of champions parent-child physical play. And then more recently, probably within the past five years, my life started colliding with what I call Barry's Crossroad, and I'll explain that in one second. And it's basically a crossroad that I think we all come to at some point in adulthood. And it's I describe it as kind of when you find yourself doing everything you can to endure adulthood while wondering whether you're actually enjoying it. And I came to Barry's Crossroad again you know, a few years back, and my life was just blurring into this frazzled mosaic of busyness and exhaustion and intensity and seriousness that swirled around, you know, my career, my family life, relationships, everything that kind of comes with adulthood. And as I look back, I think I was really, in hindsight, on the verge of of kind of burnout, both professional burnout and personal burnout. I was probably like 70% there. And I kind of started thinking about play again in kind of in response to that. And what I was noticing was that the the playful parts of my own personality in adulthood were kind of being slowly wiped away by kind of the daily grind of intensity and seriousness that we experience in adult life. And it's interesting. So why do I call it Barry's Crossroad? Well, in the early 1900s, when the similar kind of adulthood feelings were taking over James Barry, he decided to write a play. And we all know the play, it's Peter Pan, who, you know, about a boy who never wanted to grow up. And that was really Barry's attempt to hold on to his childhood wisdom that he thought was fast escaping him, kind of just amid the craziness that was around him. So I didn't I didn't write a <laughs> once in a millennium play, but I attempted to kind of look into what actually or how actually does playfulness work in adult life to help us along. And that's Kind of that's that the result of that was playful intelligence. And when I when I think of playful intelligence, I think of it as just more of an awareness of how various playful behaviors are often working behind the scenes to bring us joy, to get us through our days, to sprinkle some happiness, honestly, around our lives and the people who we're interacting with. That's kind of how it all started. That's so great. Do you know, when you think about children and their daily lives, I'd say most of it is pretty much playing. Everything they do is playing. And we lose this as we, as we grow older. How, well, how can keeping this sense of playfulness benefit our health, our mental and physical health? 
Yeah, that you know, you're exactly right in the sense that we, I think that as adults we lose the playful aspect of play a lot of times. I mean, you know, I can think of a million times where not a million times, I can think of a lot of times when I've gone on vacation or I've gone to a game or I've gone out and what am I doing? I'm thinking about my next day. I am I'm not truly playing or I'm being too competitive. You know, if I'm playing a game and I'm not truly kind of enjoying it from a playful kind of standpoint. And I think that the way, what I found was in my research and it was all qualitative. I didn't do a quantitative analysis of this, but a lot of interviews, some, a lot of my patients, in fact, and then observations is that those who, who live a little more on the playful side of the coin, and that doesn't mean goofing off all the time or, you know, taking everything not seriously, because it's really, you know, it's about taking yourself a little less seriously, not necessarily taking life less seriously. But what I found was, is that these, it really, if you break it down, you really look into these kind of playful qualities that I talk about in the book. And there were five that kind of popped up in, or were common threads in all the interviews I were doing, I was doing. And those, those five are imagination, sociability, humor, spontaneity, wonder. And what's interesting is that there isn't a lot of research on adult playfulness proper. There's a ton of research, like you kind of alluded to, to children playing and the benefits of playfulness and play in child development. There's very little research in adult development. And I think that when it started to come alive for me is, is that when you actually look and say, well, what is playfulness? Well, playfulness is, is, a, is a set of behaviors. And that's, that's kind of the root you know, it's a root of playfulness. There are these, you know, various behaviors. And then when you say, well, what are the, you know, what are the ones that really seem to help us from a mental and physical health standpoint? And these were the five that really stood out to me. And I'll, I'll give you one example. I'll give you, a, you know, we can talk a lot about, you know, I'll give you one example of humor because a lot of people think of, when they think of playfulness, they think of humor. And what's interesting about humor is that humor probably has the most research on it about physical health. You know, there, the science is overall, I would, I would call soft, but suggestive, meaning that there is some science that shows, you know, engaging in humor in your life, whatever that looks like, might help you cardiovascularly or might help your immune system. But really where the science, I think, gets more hard and, and more kind of robust is when you talk about mental health with humor. Because what's interesting is that as, as kids, we, this is another big theme in the book, is that, you know, the playful behaviors as kids work a lot differently than they do now as we're adults. So humor when we're kids is all about just fun, right? Mm-hmm. It's about laughing and giggling with your pal and running around your neighborhood, and just really just a lot of fun. When we become adults, humor, there's still some fun aspect to humor, but it becomes much more about connection with people in front of us, our, our partners, our friends, our coworkers, and then also resilience when we are going through a really, really hard time in our life when we're going through a desert, you know, that's when humor, that's kind of, that's kind of the playful intelligence part to humor is that it's, it's a huge connecting force for us in our relationships, which helps our mental health. Of course, we know that we have to exist you know, even the the greatest introvert has to exist in some contact with other people. We can't exist in isolation. And I've seen it countless times in my clinical practice where 
there is, you know, intense, intense emotion, you know, that the highest you can get when you're, you know, talking around a bedside that the family member's dying. And, and all of a sudden there's a little, a memory or some little thing that lightens the mood and connects people and helps you get through that. I mean, I think that, you know, humor helps us in that sense. Yeah. What we're seeing is, is that humor gives you a psychological distance from the situation. So you're not, it's not as if you are physically distant from the situation, but you're able to step away from it psychologically and say, oh my gosh, you know, let's, you know, try to make the best of this, honestly, you know, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So yeah. It, it seems like incivility and hostility are, you know, they're kind of on the upward trend lately in America. I mean, according to the World Happiness Report, America is slipping in happiness. How, yeah. how can playfulness help us become happier and nicer people? Yeah. And I think one is I've seen that report and it's hard to read. It's hard to see. And I think it translates not only just to adults, but also to children. It's hard to be a kid these days. Mm -hmm. I think that what playfulness does is it's not a, again, it's not a mechanism or a framework and, you know, playful intelligence is a framework to think about to escape stress. It is rather a framework to help manage it and help think about it a little bit differently. I'll give you an example with one of the other playful qualities that's talked about in the book a lot, and that's spontaneity. So spontaneity is one of the playful behaviors that gets a lot, a lot of kind of knocking or kind of cutting down in our adult lives, especially when our intensity and our seriousness and our stress levels and our uncertainty, like we're in a time right now, is ratcheting up. And the reason for that is that when that kind of stuff happens in our lives, we naturally as humans tighten. We tighten down our schedules, we become more rigid. And when something doesn't go our way, when we're real rigid, we become irritable. So what spontaneity does, and what's really kind of cool, is that if you are deliberately trying to maybe add a little bit of spontaneity into your into your day. For example, you're taking a different route home from work. Okay, very basic level of spontaneity there. You just don't take your same commute. Or another basic level of spontaneity, you sit at a different chair at dinner than you normally do. Most families they sit in the same chairs all the time. But for one, for you're trying to get more spontaneity in your life, so you do that. And what's interesting in the research is that when you're doing that, you are actually becoming more mentally flexible and agile in your thinking. And that, that is a critical skill because you can think about all the times in our days as adults where our day totally falls apart or you know something in our life turns out totally differently than we expected it to turn out, a job, a relationship, whatever it may be. And if we're kind of exercising our kind of mental flexibility in that sense, or our psychological flexibility is kind of the, the phrase I use in the book, we're more nimble and we're more able to ride those times, ride through those times. And so I think in a time like this, when there's a lot of yelling, there's a lot of shouting, 
to be able to kind of flexibly look at situations from different angles, problems from different angles, because that's really what spontaneity is doing inside your mind. You know, when something doesn't go your way, you're ricocheting in a different direction in your mind. If you can do that, it takes practice. Then I think that that's one example of how we can find, you know, some joy and happiness in these kind of crazy times. I'm really glad you brought up spontaneity because in the book you talk about how this also spontaneity can lead to generosity. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, that was one. There were that was one thing I was not expecting when I was working on the book, and I'm interviewing these these folks, and it's I'm hearing about their generous lives, how they live generously. That doesn't necessarily mean financial generosity; it can mean time, volunteering, or just kindness. And the connection there, and this was some interesting research out of Yale, David Rand did it, and I give him full credit. I mean, he was just fascinating. He's still doing this kind of stuff. And he's basically looking at decision-making and the notion of when we make a decision, are we making it fast or slow? So pretty basic construct. And how long are we actually thinking about that decision? And if we think about the decision quickly or not so quickly, does that have any effect on what the actual decision is? Namely, does it make us more cooperative as a human species and does it make us more generous? And what's interesting is that when you make a little faster decision or a little more spontaneous decision, you're more likely to live a more generous life. And this makes sense if you kind of just, you know, common sense, right? You just think back and say, well, when was the last time somebody came to my door asking for a donation? Or when was the last time I saw a homeless person on the street asking for something? If you make that decision relatively fast and say, I'm going to try to help and do something, you're likely to, to make a generous, you're likely to step forward generously. When you start thinking about it and you start rationalizing, well, this homeless person is going to use this for drugs and alcohol. Or this person here at my doorstep, you know what, they're just, this is something that I'm not even sure that this is legitimate to what they're asking me to do. You're more likely to hold back. That's not to say that you go ahead and give someone, you know, $5,000 walking <laughs> down the street. But even just living a little bit more generously, and even that can even be like a random act of kindness, mm-hmm. it, it crosses over to that world as well where you're, you know, paying for somebody's drive-through McDonald's meal or something like that. And that research in terms of living more generously with the root being, oh, I'm going to make maybe a little more faster, a little more spontaneous decision here has shown to be have good health and physical health as well as mental health benefits. I want to s- switch to this topic because I love this topic. It's wonder. And you talk about it in the book a lot. And it's a little different from the other ones because it's directly related, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's directly related to an experience, correct? That's correct. Okay. Yes, it's a little different, right. I love Wonder too, and that's why I ended the book with it. It's I love it because I was so not experiencing it. I mean, I was just so jaded. I mean, I was, just, I was walking around, nothing really brought me to that state. And the big takeaway from it is that Those who are living, I think, and are taking themselves a little bit less seriously, they have a lower threshold for experiencing wonder in the sense that it doesn't necessarily require this majestic, amazing Grand Canyon 
or this amazing musical performance or athletic performance or whatever it is to get them a pause. And that it can be, it's something very, very, it can be something small. It can be just watching a child. And the cool thing about wonder is that it's, it's one of the only kind of behaviors or emotions that urges inaction rather than action. Mm. It kind of urges us to stop really and to slow down. And there's some reasonable evidence and there's, I think that we'll see more in the next decade on this, how that just kind of notion of being able to pause, even if it's a small moment during your day, we're talking 30 seconds here, Mm -hmm. just to slow you down and decrease inflammation in our bodies. It helps us, you know, live in the present moment, right? Mm -hmm. Be more trusting and supportive. And, and, you know, that inflammation going back to the physical thing can, can translate to better cardiovascular health and also decrease risk of cancer. Now that's, that's a stretch. Obviously the research isn't there yet, but Mm -hmm. I think, I think it could come. But yeah, I mean, I think that it's, I talk about in the book, this notion of wonder rehab, which (laughs) and I had to put myself through just like, you know, when you get a physical injury, you got to rehab the injury. Right. And I think that as adults, I know I did. And a lot of people I knew, you know, have to kind of do this, this thing called wonder rehab, which is kind of this idea of doing things that will help lower your threshold for wonder. Mm Mm-hmm. And like, for example, noticing wonder in a child doesn't have to be your child, but in any child, because children live with a wonder threshold that is constantly low, right? It's totally constantly low. So when you start noticing that, then you will remember, oh, yeah, it's important for me to have a low wonder threshold, too. So, Dr. DeBenedict, you're a doctor, so we can trust your opinion that playfulness is good for our health. Thank you for joining us today. This has been excellent. That was Anthony DeBenedict, author of the book, Playful Intelligence, The Power of Living Lightly in a Serious World. You can find out more about Anthony and where to buy his book by visiting us at livehappynow.com. We hope you're already a subscriber to Live Happy Now, but if you're not, you can find us on the Pandora Podcast Network, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and on iTunes and Google Play. Just look for us on your favorite platform and then hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. That is all we have time for this week. We'll meet you back again here next week for an all-new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one.